Hello, and welcome to episode 13 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I am Monica. And I'm Courtney. And today is Thursday, April 18th, 2019. It's hot out. It is hot out. Well, San Francisco hot. It's 73 degrees. But I will complain about it all day long. Everyone will. (laughs) Although we've been complaining about the rain and... No, I like the rain and the fog. Okay. Yeah. 73 and climbing. Like 70 is where we need to be. Uh Uh-huh. It's three degrees over my limit. Yes. (laughs) Very true. Thank you to all of our listeners, old and new. We hope you will continue to have us be something you put on repeat. Hi, everyone. Hello. We're glad you're here. And we're going to talk about stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to talk about We will have on the needles. We will have on the easel. We will have on the table with some extra helpings and on the nightstand. What are you knitting? What am I knitting? Well, do you want to hear about what I'm knitting or do you want to hear about my retreat first? Did you I know I went on know. a retreat? I actually, I did see a little snippet of something about a retreat. Yes. So this is the Northern California Knitting Retreat. I have my mug here. I like the quail on it. Um, So this is the fifth year they had it. This is the third year that I've attended, and it is a very, very chill retreat. Where is it? It is in San Juan Baptista. There's um, a retreat center in the hills above the mission town, and so it's beautiful, and with all the rain we've been having, it's been very green. There's lots of trees and flowers, and we have a big common room that opens up onto this huge lawn and patio. And a lot of the retreats that I've seen advertised, the, the bigger, more well-known ones, they have lots of classes and speakers and a marketplace and kind of like a Stitches West, but more, a little smaller. Was it like the Sock Retreat? The Sock Summit? The Sock we Summit, to? yes. Yes. So this is even smaller. This is, so there's about 60 people who attend. There's no marketplace. There's no classes. Just... Two to three days of knitting. Cool. And hanging out. Um, we do have one of the attendees is a pretty well-known published designer. And so she'll do a little, not a full class, kind of a lecture Saturday morning. And you can attend, you can not attend. It's usually a pretty interesting topic. They, she did um, kind of gauge math last year. We had a, a lecture on working with linen yarn uh, the year before. So it's always, it's always something really interesting. There's usually a couple of activities they have mini skein swap, a yarn de-stash room. You can bring oh, even that's awesome. projects, actually, you know, things that you've knit before that you're tired of, or and just plain yarn, sock yarn swap. They support a charity. A lot of retreats will do that. They'll have everybody knit for some, you know, knit hats for the yeah. NICU or something. So theirs is, and this is also where they get the name Knockers, the Northern California Knitting Retreat. They Everyone knits knitted knockers for women that have breast cancer and need, what do they call them? Prosthetic? There you go. Uh, but they're knitted ones, so they're softer and comfortable. And... Like in between reconstruction mm-hmm. or if exactly. somebody just decides that they want to yeah. use a falsy. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah, so they have a little um, competition for that and everybody gets a door prize and yeah, it's just, and it's just really very relaxed. Um, so I went for two days this year and they feed you. So three meals a day. Nobody oh has to gosh. cook or clean up, which is quite possibly the best part of it all. So yeah, wonderful. It's really nice. Um, and it's organized by the Yarniacs podcast and the Two Knit Lit Chicks podcast. And they have other committee mem- members on there. But that was 
I think where I originally found out about it. So, yeah. I didn't really know you were doing this, I guess. Yeah, I guess I didn't talk about it. It was a little wonky trying to get it all to work because of all the kid activities. And then husband and child one were going out of town for spring break. So there was some overlap time to figure out. Yeah, those things, it's always dicey. Like, can we really make this work? And then, yeah. Yeah, so this is kind of my... My one long weekend that I have on my calendar for the year. It's like, I'm going to make this work. And I'm, I'm glad I did. So yes. how much did you really knit while on retreat? I got a good bit of knitting done. Great. I started a new sweater for me because I wanted to. So I went with, um, I'd been kicking around lots of different sweaters. Started with the Little Bird sweater by Vera Valamaki, which is a lace weight pullover with lace. <laughs> I love your expression. <laughs> well, nothing like a challenge, Monica. Yep. Well, so a couple people have knit it, and they all said it was actually pretty easy, and it's a lot of stock in it. So my theory on this, and it's it's kind of a boxy shape with drop shoulders, like yes, this that'd be a drop shoulder. I'm pointing to what I the t-shirt I'm <clears throat> currently wearing. So I thought it would just be a lot of knitting in a circle and then a little bit of lace. And the lace was not at all complicated or isn't at all complicated, except that she starts it with a lot of shoulder shaping. So you're knitting it in pieces and then hooking it all together, which is not exactly ideal for retreat knitting where you're, where you must focus. Yes. Yeah. Hold on. Which is not exactly ideal for (laughs) retreat knitting where you need to focus and Lots of chatting going on, and, and there may have been some adult beverages. And, yeah. So, but it turned out okay, and I, yeah, I just kind of was really into it, and I wanted to get it to the part where I was just knitting in a circle. So I did a lot of work on it um, while I was there, and then I've been working on it consistently, not consistently, monogamously since I got home. Yeah, so I've gotten to underneath the sleeve, so I am now in the knitting in a circle part. And I tried it on yesterday. It looks like it's going to fit okay. It's got a boat neck. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to be too wide. You do the, the boat neck and then pick up for the collar just to give it a little more structure. So, yeah, so I'm, I am pleased. I can't wait to see that. it. Yeah, and it's in the um, lace weight yarn from Isiger that Simon brought back from Denmark. Good, because so, you were super excited yeah. to dive into that. So that was kind of fun to get yarn and then... Start knitting on it pretty quickly. Um, so we'll see how long that takes me. I've got a couple of things that it just occurred to me that I need to knit for gifts, uh, including the baby sweater that I talked about last time, which was kind of a disaster. So the pattern I started with was the Garter Stitch Baby Kimono by Hohi Locatelli. And she said in there for the six month size, it would take more than 100 grams of yarn. And I said, pshaw, because it's a baby sweater, right? Even if it's a six month, it's still a baby sweater. There's no way it needs that much yarn. <laughs> so my dear friend Ho, he was right. <laughs> and I was knitting and knitting and knitting and I was almost done. And I got to maybe midway through the first sleeve. And I realized, yeah, there was no way to finagle this unless we wanted to have no sleeves. Then we'd be all set. But that seemed to kind of... A baby... Baby vest, wrap vest. I mean, I guess it could have worked, but yeah. it was not... It was not what I wanted. Right before I went to the retreat, I spent that morning ripping that out, rewinding the whole thing. The whole no. Thing. Well, there was no... Way. Monica. 
It was like a week's worth of knitting, if that. Yeah, it's like a knife to my heart. <laughs> but it, yeah, I would I was make little, it work. I would make you know, that. I would. But what would you do? I mean, you would. I would have taken would, out the the amount, the same amount on the other sleeve, and then did like a contrast on both sleeves. Yeah, but then I would have had to go. Yeah, I did think about that, but I really. My I will never, my, I will never, ever take it apart. It takes me you so... You did, though. But it would be yeah. a blue one. You took you took it apart because it wasn't right, right? Um, Only because it was, like, catastrophically wrong. Yeah, well, this was pretty catastrophically wrong, <laughs> and I didn't have enough yarn. There wasn't a lot to work with there. You couldn't get more? I didn't want to do that. It's okay. a baby sweater. I did not want to do two skeins of yarn. Okay. That was the other thing. And I figured, I think what it was is that it was the wrap, so it had basically two fronts. Mm-hmm. So it's like a sweater and a half. A little big, I thought, but I think, I don't know. I don't know what size six months are anymore. Yeah, my I kids don't. were big at six months. I don't know if mine were that big, but like they, I don't, I'm not around babies, babies? anymore. I know. Right? So I know how big a 15-year-old could be, but a six-month-old, I just, I don't know. And I don't have any contacts in that age group so no sample babies no sample babies so <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't anyway I did yeah I did sort of think about the color blocking but that wasn't the vision I had in my head I understand I wanted super simple some cute buttons and moving on so what I did after I ripped it out found another pattern playtime by Lori Versace so it's a yoke sweater cardigan super simple so I started that when I got to the retreat and then got to the part that one is top down and I got to the part I think where I was splitting for the arms and then decided to take a break and work on my sweater <laughs> so I do need to get back to now I've gotten my sweater to where I want to be when is this baby due and now then, yeah now <laughs> so I mean my original goal was to have it done so that Simon could take it to DC and if he got to visit you know hand it off mm-hmm. and that clearly wasn't gonna happen so now I'm kind of like I mean, yeah, it's April. They're not really going to be needing a baby sweater, and I'm making it big anyway, so for the fall. Yeah, as long as I get it there, soonish. Um, so that one's in the three Irish girls adorned sock in a very light gray. That is called something like "Smoke on the Water Whisper." Oh, and I found out my blue lace yarn, because on the label it said the colorway was 101, which is not very exciting. But if you put it into Ravelry. Up pops 101 Deep Teal, ah, which is lovely. So somebody has taken the liberty of naming it, or is that from the no, company? I don't know. Sometimes, the, and also mine is from Denmark. Maybe they put a colorway on the American version. And sometimes I think they'll have the colors, they just don't put them on there. Like if you go to uh, you know, a web shop, you, sometimes it'll come up with the colors as well as the numbers. So I think probably the company has done it just... They don't necessarily label it that way. Fair enough. And I think that is all my knitting. Yeah, I haven't worked on the socks at all, I don't think. Maybe a, a round or two. I had my knitting friend, Therese, look at my 7-8 sweater. Yes. And she says, carry on. She thinks that that part that I think is a mistake, she thinks it's correct. Nice. And she read the pattern and looked at it, and she says, just keep going. So I think so. I mean, because how much? It's no. I'm how much knitting is it? It's a big, 
That's big. But... It's like a cowl. You know, it's a... F- All right. Whatever. I'm going with it. It's already like the that particular portion of the skein is a little bit darker than the body of the sweater. So mm. it's kind of pooling right there. But you know what? I just have to forge ahead with this. Yes. I'm going to knit it up in time for our summer when I'll wear it. Perfect. Mm -hmm. So maybe if you get it done and you still hate it, then you can rethink what you're going to do. That's true. Compared to the rest of the sweater, it's not that much knitting. Will it even out when I block it? Sure. No. No, I mean, blocking can work magic. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, we'll see. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. So, what's on the easel? Oh my. Well, full steam ahead on the 100 day project. It's orange this week. I hate orange. That's like, the point, right? For real. Hate orange. <laughs> it grates on me. Like, when I'm looking at orange things, I did the little scavenger hunt around my house, you know, like I did for yellow. And I think I found a fraction of items in orange to, you know, that. It's interesting because for me, yellow and orange are sort of in that same nope. group, but apparently <laughs> not. Heck no. Okay. I have found that if I tone it down with some red ochre or yellow ochre, I can get to a point where it's muted and manageable. But once it hits like a certain... Sorry, what is ochre? Ochre is like a yellow, a mustard. Okay. But it's a great earth tone. I think that when it hits a certain frequency, and I know that that's the wrong word for it, but oh my gosh, it is like everything looks like a traffic cone after a certain point. (laughs) It actually, like I have almost a physiological response to it. It's so interesting if it weren't so difficult and... I am trying to lean into it. You know, I'm going to do the the orange segment, but boy, I can't wait to, and I don't even really like red all that much, but I can't wait to move on to red. So, 100 Day Project, going strong. I took a watercolor class over at Case for Making last week because Hey Hooray Design, Mm -hmm. who is my gouache friend from Seattle, Daria, um, she was down in San Francisco, and she said, let's let's go take this class. So we went over and took um, an evening class with Lindsay Stripling, who is their, like, resident painter. And she taught us how to illustrate layers in watercolor. And I haven't really been working in watercolor, so it was fun to switch medium and think in that way for an evening and and sort of release into that process a little bit. And it was it was fun. And then yesterday I went, they had a maker day at my younger son's school. And we made, well, the kids made scribble bots. So they they took a um a tall paper cup and inverted it and put magic marker legs on it and then attached a battery pack and a little motor and then a a propeller, which was basically like a piece of glue stick that was mounted off center on the rotor. So it it wasn't like a fan, it was more like 
I don't know, a fan that's off center, basically. <laughs> okay. And so it made the, the thing kind of like jostle mm-hmm. and walk. So when you take the caps off the magic marker legs and you let this thing down and connect the battery, it, you know, moves around like a bot. The reason why this is so magical is because I'm also taking the 30 days to unblocking your creativity from Creative Bug right now Hmm. with Danielle Krissa, who is the Jealous Curator. And... One of her prompts for unblocking your creativity is this, um, like a collaborative project where somebody else, a child, a dog, whatever, walks across your paper with inky paws or a kid scribbles and you use the scribble. But I thought the second that they asked me to do the scribble bots that this would be perfect for that prompt. So I came home with like a short stack of automatic I guess like an automatic drawing type thing and the best part my son got to bring his scribble bot home so now I can put whatever colors I want on the legs and like (laughs) you know try it in my own way so I'm very excited to try the scribble bot this weekend and then lastly for the local San Francisco crowd Bay Area crowd um, I mean, you could fly in for it if you want. You could fly in. The The date we're looking at is um, Sunday, May 5th. So the short story is our school was gifted a couple crates of art supplies. And not all of the art supplies are appropriate for elementary classroom use. So we are having an art supply sale to... Uh, raise a little bit of money for our school and offered a disc a deep discounted rate on these art supplies to the art community in San Francisco. I'm really excited about this because I get to like sort and price and you know help the teachers come up with projects and do all of this fun stuff. The school is gonna pull out most of the classroom stuff first and then we'll have lots of professional grade paints and easels and There were like drawing forms and pastels and pencils and Lord knows what else is in there because I haven't even opened up one of the crates yet. So if you are a local Bay Area person, keep an eye on my Instagram because I will have sneak peeks at what's going to be available and I'll have all the details in like one of those little highlight buttons on the front of my Instagram feed. And we'll probably put one in the podcast page as well. So that's Sunday, May 5th, 2019 in San Francisco. Check my Courtney SF Instagram feed. Cool. Yeah. That should be fun. I'm really excited. I mean, a lot of work for you, but a lot of, for the rest a lot of, of work for me, but, um, yeah, I'm, I want, I want, we've rescued these materials from landfill. Um, not literally out of the landfill. We've saved them from going into the landfill. So I'm excited to get them in as many hands as possible. What have you been cooking? I feel like I haven't been cooking that much. Me either. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Um, Oh, I did want to update. So the Absurdly Addictive Asparagus is from Food 52. Um, In case you were just 
Googling absurdly addictive, there are apparently a couple of them out there, but it is the Food 52 one okay. that I used. And I did my new book that I am going through. It's not actually a new book. I've had it for years and just haven't used it lately. And I kind of picked it back up. And it's uh, $20, 20-minute 20 meals by Carolyn Wright. And it was more the 20-minute, I mean... $20 is great. It's fabulous. It was more the 20 minutes with all the, the sport things and getting home at 7, 7.30 and trying to put something together. Um, so last night we had a skillet pizza um, where you cook the pizza dough, you heat up uh, like a cast iron pan and cook it in there for a few minutes and put your toppings on and then stick it um, under the broiler. What? And, what? Wait, pizza dough... Did you oh. buy it? Did you make it? I bought the pizza dough. Okay, good. Like the good pizza dough from, not the Pillsbury. Yeah. yeah. The nice you one. The you bought the fancy one. The fancy one, yes. Um, and it had to do its thing for a little bit? Yeah, it just, yeah, it sits out for half an hour, but I didn't have to do anything with it then, so that was easy enough. Yeah, and then you heat up the pan, and I left mine under the broiler a little bit too long, so the edges were really black. <laughs> Um, which I do not enjoy, and I was trying to tell my child that he could, you know, scrape them off, and as I looked over to tell him that, he's peeling them off and eating them, so apparently he did not have an issue with that. And I've seen, and I've seen this somewhere else, I think in one of the Dinner Love Story cookbooks, she does that as well, so. The it cooks skillet, super, skillet pizza. Yeah, so I mean, you heat it up, you put it in the pan, and really you're just cooking it in the pan while you add the toppings, and then you stick it under the broiler for... I think I had it in there for four minutes. It's super fast. Yeah. One of my aspirational things is to have a pizza oven in the backyard. Oh, uh, yeah, that would be fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you don't realize how quickly it goes with all that high heat, I guess, and cast iron. and Yeah, so we put it, we had um, pesto and salami and mozzarella on it. So it was Excellent. pretty good. So it was gluten full and, and meat carnivorous. And carnivorous, yes. Excellent. Yeah, it was great. And the other one I did was an orzo radicchio risotto. So kind of like the, what is it, the magic? Not magic pasta. Where you cook the... The induction cooking. Yeah. So, you, I mean, orzo is pasta. But you're kind of doing it with the risotto method where you add the, mm -hmm. the hot broth. Um, and then at the end, you throw in some radicchio, and so, which added this really nice... Complexity. Darkness yeah. to it. Yeah. So that's also from the, the I call it my 2020 cookbook and they're all supposed to be for four people generally I would say yes that one it was me and my two boys and we were all <laughs> looking for snacks afterwards so yeah and I and I was I was making it I was it only called <clears throat> for a cup of orzo and I was like mm, that just doesn't seem right oh, I, heck no. yeah. yeah but I went I with think, it we had big dessert so I think fine. that um cookbook authors who don't have teenage sons need to spend some time with my teenage sons and readjust their... I think there should be a caveat in every cookbook for teenagers. And I don't... Yeah, but even... Like, I mean, that was supposed to serve four people. I mean... Yeah, that's... It was not, like, maybe two. That's a oh, lot, right? Yeah. Like, there were three of us. And even as hungry teens, like, it was not enough for me divided into three, let alone I my see kids. So yeah. I feel like... It needed to be at least doubled. And sometimes, you know, some of the other recipes she had are totally enough for all of us. Yeah. So, hard to tell. 
And, and I had that with the um, Sweet in the Kitchen as well. Most of them were great and totally filling. And every once in a while, it's like, yeah, no, that's not going to do it for us. It's part of that recipe translation, that skill. And then the other one that I really liked, um, I made umami potatoes. Ooh, from tell me more. The Dinner Plan by Kathy Brennan and Carol, Caroline Campion. And I was thinking they were sort of going to be like the melting, melting potatoes, potatoes, which I haven't met yet, and I haven't made yet, and I just looked them up. And it's not exactly like that, but you boil them, and then you drain it and add them back to the pot with, I think it was soy sauce and sugar and something else that I cannot remember right now. But mm. it made this, it was very umami and... So are they mashed? No. Nope. You just, oh. Uh, oh, sorry, cubed. Okay. So you cube them, boil them, and then add them back with the sauce. Ta- and toss it. Yeah, yeah, the sauce in a warm pan. Boy 2 loved them. He was like, this is the best thing ever. Make potatoes this way all the time. Older one, <laughs> yeah, he could not decide how he felt about them. He's like, I think I like them, but the texture is kind of weird. And I think with all the soy sauce, he said, I feel like I should be eating shrimp, but it's not. Oh, that's... um. So, but then, yeah, but then it doesn't taste like shrimp. It's much right. softer. So he's like, I'm just not sure how I feel about this. He's like, they're not bad. I'm just not, he was not like the other one. Who what was kind of potatoes did you use? I think it was russet. It and calls for something in the book. And they're peeled. Yep. So the, um, the melting potatoes are peeled Yukon gold or new potatoes. Right. I think you could do them unpeeled just as easily. My kids are the, well, my kids are hands down. That's the way all potatoes should be made forever more the end. That's what it says in the recipe too, I was noticing. Yeah. That you will notice that. So I do need to get back onto that. Umami potatoes. Yeah. Do you know what I really love that nobody in my house will even remotely entertain? What? Wasabi mashed potatoes. Mm. And I don't mean like kick pants wasabi right i mean just a little bit to sort of you know almost like a horseradish to amp up the right the flavor of a mashed potato i also love i can see that though, really garlicky so, oh, well, yeah. garlicky mashed potatoes right. i live with a bunch of irishmen and boy they do not want any add-ins on the mashed potatoes outside of the classics yeah because I mean, they're so comfort like they're kind of a comfort food you want it to be Bland and comforting, although garlic. Garlic mashed potatoes would be fabulous. I mean, yes. that's not a huge departure. No. <sighs> I would entertain wasabi potatoes, but I'm not <laughs> sure how I how I really. It's not like that. green tea. <laughs> no, that's true. I'm trying to think, but that, that's interesting. And then horseradish, I'm sort of more okay with. Well, it's just Which Japanese horseradish, and it's all the same thing. I'm not sure why. Oh, I have with like, a nice primer. Yeah, that would be right. Yeah, right. Yeah. I have three potato cookbooks. I have three potato cookbooks. So I'm making a potato gratin for Easter nice. to take to my sister-in-law's, and also that same salmon and parchment that I did for mm-hmm. the baby shower two weeks ago because the family loved it. But today. Well, first of all, the potato gratin recipe I think I'll share because it is, it calls for fennel. Nobody likes fennel. No. Um, but 
what I, I have lightened this recipe up to the point where it's almost angelic. And I use a lot of chicken stock, which you could do vegetable, yeah. um, but it it's not as heavy. You know, it's not like scalloped potatoes. Right. And it is spring, so you theoretically want something. And I do put a lot of herbs in it, and I think that helps mm. freshen it up a little bit. So I'll share that recipe. But what I really want to talk about today are chocolate chip cookies. Mm. Right? There's never a bad time to talk no. about chocolate chip cookies. That, that is very true. And somebody recently was talking about your superpower. Like, what is your superpower? Mm -hmm. um, culinary speaking. And mine is definitely chocolate chip cookies because I can throw a batch together. Mm, it's true. On the fly in like eight minutes and pull them out of the oven within 20. Listeners, they are amazing. Thank you. Well, I was thinking it's not, it's not the recipe. You know, I just use the recipe off of the Toll House bag, basically. But I think what I do differently, and I was paying attention to this recently because somebody asked me, like, what are you doing? Because I had someone in the kitchen right. while I was making the chocolate chip cookies. And I think there are two things that I do a little bit differently. I absolutely, to the point of um, desertion, let the butter and sugars cream. So it's almost like a whipped topping, like super light and fluffy. And then add in the eggs and the vanilla. And then the dry stuff, I just spoon in and mix it with a wooden spoon and then do the final bit with the chocolate chips mm -hmm. in the mixer. Mm -hmm. Oh, the first part, I should say, to begin with, Everything's room temperature. Okay. So anyway, so now it's all combined. Everything's at room temperature. And I chuck the thing in the fridge for however long I can. Sometimes I don't at all. And then when I bake them on the sheet, I keep them all about the same size. And I open the oven door at How about big? like an ice, well, not a full ice cream scoop, a modest ice cream scoop. I should weigh it. Maybe I'll weigh it to put in the notes. Maybe like a ping pong ball size. Okay. They come out pretty big though, yeah. and how I get them that way, and I don't even really think about it except until somebody asked me about it the other day. I opened up the oven, and they were all there baking, and I don't turn the cookie sheet or anything. I just take my oven mitt and like lift up the pan and slam it down a couple times <laughs> and make them like flatten out, like hit the deck. Like you know after I, they've been cooking for a while? Yeah, they've been cooking for about six minutes. They're still damp uh -huh. looking on top, in the mostly in the center. Like the edges have cooked, basically. And I just kind of like smack them down and it flattens out the center. I did not know that. Of the, and I don't even think about it now. It's just like part of how I'm throwing right. together these cookies. Yeah. And so what happens is they're pretty flat across the top like they're really even looking mm -hmm. their shape might be a little wonky because they've baked to their perimeter but it does something it forces down that that leavening and I feel like <laughs> this is my completely unscientific <laughs> observation I feel like it condenses the flavor <laughs> of the cookie oh yeah and I could be totally wrong and well, I mean they are amazing 
I just think it gives me really even consistent results. And if I forget to do that and they're like a little bit, they're just a little bit cakier. But if I bang down the sheet pan, they're more fudge well, leaning. If you want to do a blind taste test, I am happy to help you. Yeah, I, I do. I totally do that for Okay. You. So I think, Monica, what I will do <laughs> is run through this again because it doesn't take a lot to achieve these cookies. And I will make really careful notes. And I think I want to, like, illustrate the just a single sheet, you know, right. illustration of the recipe. Yeah, I knew you did the super long creaming part. Yeah. I've heard that before. I did not know the smashing of the pan. That just sounds fun, too. Oh, it's very therapeutic. Yeah. But it's you can't do it at, you know, 7 o'clock in the morning when half the house is asleep. Just saying. Depends. <laughs> Good morning. Cookies for breakfast. Whack, whack. That's all I have to say about cooking. It has been a roller coaster and will continue to be for a couple more weeks, I think. I have one kid on break this week, one kid off next Which week. Which is just rude. Totally. Husband is traveling. So basically, it's like, who's hungry? <laughs> Who wants sausages and pasta and broccoli? Well, so this is a good segue into our extra helping uh -huh. and planning. So did you do any planning for this craziness? So I'm going to tell you. I am a planner. And you said last time that you were not. I am not a planner. And I thought, oh, I'll, plan, I'll play along for two weeks <laughs> and, and like fake it. No, I'm not a planner. What I do every single week is I take the grocery list that, you know, if we, I, I have a little pad in the drawer that's for the groceries and everybody knows if you want it, it needs to be on that list. And they actually do that? Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. Otherwise I don't buy the waffles. Okay. <laughs> so I have the list in the drawer and on Sunday, at some point on Sunday, I will say, okay, what do we have this week? And I do like a Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I don't even look at the weekend because they're just too crazy right now. And then I map out like who's away, who's here, who's got practice, you know, in my own little shorthand. And so looking at this week, I we had one night when all four of us were going to be home. Mm -hmm. It's just terrible. So what I do is I make double that one night when we're all going to be home. And then I will put meals together around that, like whatever's the leftovers or the extras from that meal. Look, okay. So it'll be, I will roast two chickens, make three cups of brown rice, and I always have asparagus or broccoli or whatever in the drawer. And that amazing sauce that we put a link to. Yes. And then I will use the components of that big meal for when it's just me or me and a kid or when I, it's, it's usually just me and a kid. And then when it's the, the three of us or there, you know what I mean? When it's yeah. a smaller group, like last night I did the chicken in a skillet with the rice and the broccoli and the cheddar, mm -hmm. which everybody really loves. Oh, okay. It uses components of what I've had, or I could pick up a rotisserie chicken or whatever. And so that's kind of my my workaround for these crazy dinners. Is that sounds like a plan. It's but it feels 
slapdash. It feels slapdash. However, I don't really have to go to the grocery store any more often. You know, like sometimes when you and I talk, then I get really jazzed up about a new recipe and I will fit. I'm, I notice that I'm doing the experimental cooking more on the weekends. Oh, like actual recipe? Yeah, like, oh, I really want to try this because generally the weekends, Saturday and Sunday evenings, are when everybody is home. Right. And so then I get a little bit more creative. Um, but the Monday through Friday is like batch cooking and ad hoc meals. Yeah, but you've thought about it. I mean, you're like, this is my one night home. I will do a big thing, sort of more planned and yeah. thoughtful. And then not recycling, but... Yeah, know, I mean, brown rice will stay in it. the fridge yeah. for for me for five days. You know, like I can just scoop out of that container and it works really well. And then if I have to run out for milk, as I'm passing through the produce, I'll, I will pick up, you know, cherry tomatoes and some asparagus and roast them off at some point, And then that gets incorporated in. So it's, I feel like the Monday through Friday thing is more of a, it's not sexy. It's just like production, you know, whereas on the weekends, I will try. I think about it. And yeah. Yeah. I like it. How about you? Well, and see, that's, I think part of it is a little bit cooking style. Like I have not quite, and that was one of my goals this year was to do more prep work. I keep saying recycling. I don't love that word. There needs to be a better word for that. Um, Reimagining maybe. Yeah. That's definitely what I'm still working on. I'm very much a planner. I love planning. (laughs) Like I plan my vacations a year in advance, like what we're doing every day. That makes me super happy and comfortable when the event actually happens. Um, And I do the same thing with my menus and it, it can end up changing. Like I think tonight on the menu is Salisbury steak. And as we mentioned, it's 73 degrees out and yeah. And you know, that's not sounding super enticing. So I'm not quite sure how I'm going to. I think that's been my challenge with planning ahead is that, well, first of all, my big stumbling block is that the the best light in my studio is between like three and six right now, this mm-hmm. time of year. And I do not want to be in the kitchen between three and six. Yeah. So if I can, when I'm having lunch, if I roast off vegetables then, and I know there's rice in the fridge and I can throw an egg, like a folded egg on top of it. And I know dinner can come together at 6.15 when the sun moves from the studio, then I'm so happy yeah no i i love it that's kind of what i but the batch cooking is i think what helps achieve having those components ready you know that i know i have a batch of of whatever melting potatoes or rice Mm. or yeah so i'm definitely more of a so how do you how do you build your plan uh yeah so i sit down on i mean it's a lot similar i kind of look at what practices we have who's going out what time will we be getting home? Monday night is always pasta night. We started that in elementary school um, because Mondays were just tough. Yeah. And I figured everybody likes pasta. You know, I could just do butter and cheese for the boys and then make a sauce for Simon and I. And it would just, and we have come to depend on that so much so that even if it's, we have a Monday holiday or, you know, we went out for Italian and everybody had pasta on Sunday night. 
Monday night had better be pasta. I don't care what else is happening in the world. It will just be a disaster of epic proportions if that is not the case. They'll be very confused and upset. I guess if we're traveling and eating out, then it does not have to be pasta night. But if we are home, Monday is pasta night, which is kind of nice because then I don't really, I also don't have to think about it. Right. And there's so many sauces. The only part that's gotten tricky is a lot of them are, you kind of cook it all together, mm -hmm. the pasta and the sauce and the combine everything. It's hard to do because I do, that is kind of the one thing that I do not do gluten-free. So I do a gluten-free pasta and a regular pasta. So that's a little tricky. I have a kid who would be happy if every night were pasta night. Oh, both of mine would be <laughs> fine with that too. And that was kind of, yeah, I also had to kind of like, this is pasta night, we're not having. And then I could say like, no, Monday is pasta night. We're right. not having pasta five nights a week. So right. That was good. And I did Taco Tuesday for a while because there's so many taco recipes. Yeah. And kind of having that one less thing to think, or having that framework, it's not one less thing. You still have to figure out which taco recipe you'd be making or which pasta recipe or whatever fish on Fridays or, you know, however mm -hmm. you want to do it. I think I did soup for a while one night. It just kind of gives you a framework to, to think about. It makes it one less decision that you have to make. But that works. Works for us. So do you just plan the Monday through Friday or do you look at your weekends? No, too? I usually look at the weekends too because, you know, if we've got a travel game and we're not getting back till five o'clock or we're all doing different things, that'll affect what I, you know, I'm not going to do a, a big cook on Saturday night if I've mm -hmm. like been in the car for three hours. Yeah, I think you kind of have to look at, at everything. But I'll get through, and I'll usually, I think that's why I go through sort of cookbook, I want to say rut. That doesn't sound like I'll, I'll do a deep dive into a cookbook because um, I'll start looking through it and I'll just, you know, start filling it in like, oh, this one, this recipe sounds good. I'll work it in on this Tuesday when we don't have as much. And Tuesday nights are usually our night. Um, we have late soccer practice, so I can't actually do more intense cooking. It doesn't have to be a 20 minute menu, whereas like Wednesdays and Fridays when we get back home at seven o'clock, that needs to be something super fast. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really just. Kind of thinking about it and then i'll also look online there's a lot of people that post their menus online so if i'm feeling really stuck i'll just go look at someone else's menu and be like oh chicken cutlets yeah i haven't done that in a while let's do that that is a big weekend thing for me because i think it's arduous to bread chicken and that's a good one that i do um like a batch cook with or i will attempt to batch cook with but they usually get vacuumed right up but the chicken cutlets and the um, turkey chimichanga recipe mm -hmm. that I shared in like one of our first episodes, yeah. that's a good batch one that'll last us a couple yeah. nights. Um, the kids, I have to say, don't love when I do that batch thing and then resurrect a meal the next night. I feel like my leftovers more go into lunches the next day. Oh, that's good. The younger one, I still pack him a lunch. The other one eats at school. So then usually, you know, I guess if I did bigger batch cooking, then I would have more leftovers. But usually there's enough left for lunch for two people or at least one person. So that's kind of where mine go to. There's the meal box services too. But a lot of people. I have been hearing more and more about these. I have only ever tried the HelloFresh. And the quantities... I know that you can supplement, like you can add pasta or rice if you feel like that needs a little bulking up. But I don't know. I feel... You have all the feelings. 
I don't know. I don't know that that would work for us for right now. I think when the kids are off in college and it, well, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know how it'll work. Yeah. I think we have more time at different points of the day, Mm -hmm. right? We have that time during the day to prep stuff. Right. Which I will often do and you will too. Yeah. But I don't want to think about food any more than I need to. I mean, I, I like, I prefer to have like something different every single night, but I also prefer to be able to paint every single day. And so often the paint wins out. And I think, and I've talked about this before as, you know, one of my New Year's resolutions was to just not worry about the protein so much and add more vegetables, at least to whatever my, offer it to the kids and have it on our plates and then bring in the variety with the sauces or the condiments or the dressing or the oh, yeah. you know the topping part of it. So right now, you know, I'm addicted to that special sauce. Your special sauce. Um which Ooh, I'm is, going to Costco next week so I can You said you found it there too, right? I found it at Costco for a fraction of the price, Love but it. only the Chipotle version, which has a fair bit of kick. Hmm. And I did find like a pineapple meatball there, that chicken meatball that my whole house will eat. And so that's my like back pocket safety meal, you know, for the week. I will just tuck it in the freezer. And then if we come up against a crunch or, you know, things get scrambled or I don't have the right ingredients, then I know I have those meatballs and I'll just throw it together with a little pasta or rice and a little side salad. Yeah, I think that's another good point is to always have something a backup. Mm-hmm. Mine is, I call it hockey mom chili. We made it, it was another hockey mom who introduced me to it. And it's um, a can of Rotel tomatoes, a can of Mexican corn, and two cans of chili beans. So it's vegetarian. Um, and if you get the right beans, it's also gluten free. You know, you serve it with Fritos and all the delicious yeah. toppings, but it's super easy. It's all canned, so it's just, you know, so it's not super fresh and lovely, but if you're in a real pinch, super easy. And, you know, kids could throw it together. Yeah. Non-cooks could throw it together. It's not a big deal, so that's kind of my my backup one. And you could add hot sauce and make it more zippy. Yeah, I like recipes that have some flexibility like that. What are you reading? I am reading. What, am what I reading? did you read? What I should I say many things. Actually, not that many things. So I finished Kinship of Secrets by Eugenia Kim. That was the two sisters, the one who got left in Korea with relatives, while the other one. Oh went yeah, to... heartbreaking. It was, and apparently based on her actual real life experience in her family. Oh no! The real one was they had three kids. They left the middle one with relatives. Korean War happens, um, and she eventually was able to come to America when she was 11. So a little bit younger than in the book, which happened, she comes to America when she's 16. Yeah, so it's kind of how she adjusted. I kept, I guess this is kind of a spoiler, I kept waiting for something dramatic and awful to happen, and it never did. She adjusts, and, you know, she has issues. They go back to Korea to visit. She takes her American, I'm going to call her the American sister, the one that grew up in America, with her to Korea. They visit the family. It was just a really kind of beautiful book about family and connections and culture, you know, and how when she went back to Korea after being in America, she saw it through new eyes, but it still 
she said she got off the plane and it just smelled like home. Like that was. Oh my gosh. You know, but then she saw things. She realized how difficult things were and you know things that she hadn't appreciated um, before. So it was it was a really interesting book on a lot of levels. No big dramatic reveal the or quiet, trauma. The quieter yeah. story. Yeah. And it, which kind of made me realize how how much you expect there to be some sort of yeah. big drama. So I really enjoyed that one. And that was Kinship of Secrets by Eugenia Kim. And then I read Early Riser by Jasper Ford, which I don't even know how to talk about this one. I, really good. I love his writing. He, I think I've talked about him before. He did the Thursday Next series. So this is, characters. is this science so this is, or speculative science fiction, right? Because it couldn't really happen. Well, I guess it could. So this one is a, is a standalone book. It's not part of the okay. Thursday Next series. So the premise behind this one is that we're in more of an ice age, and humans hibernate every winter. If uh, only. <laughs> so there, so society is is geared around this, and there is a group of people called the Winter Consuls who stay awake through the winter, and kind of protect people. There are sort of nomads out there, and um, who stay awake. Yeah, so it's so it's about Charlie, who is this is he's just become a Winter Consul. So it's his first time, and all sorts of shenanigans ensue. I had no idea where this book was going. Total crazy. Like it's kind of a mystery. Is it who's good, who's bad? Pretty weird. Yeah, little. It, it's kind of. It's not funny, funny, but there's like weird randomness, and then they'll. It's kind of the same society that we're in, but things are always a little bit off, just because of how people are. There's one woman who. She's 16, but she's super smart because she has this genetic anomaly where she only sleeps eight hours out of every 24. So she stays awake through the winter because she just sleeps every night, right? She's like us. Um, oh. But everyone's like, ooh, she's weird. So little things like that. So yeah, so that one was kind of fun. I like that one. Interesting. But I don't really know. <laughs> it's kind of hard to describe. There was a lot of twists and turns and... I like the premise, though. Yeah. It, so it sounds like something I would enjoy. Yeah, it was fun. And then I am currently reading The Bird King by G. Willow Wilson, which takes place in 1491 in Spain during the fall of the Muslim Empire. So the main character, or there's two main characters, they um, concubine in the palace and the map maker, and they've been friends forever. And the sultan is going to surrender as some of the Spanish envoys come in and the map maker this is a little wonky has magical powers that allow him to draw maps that come to life or he can tell where things are he can open doors he can't do it over super long distances but like within the palace he can open a door so that his friend can come from the harem to visit him without being seen things like that and this is all on the dust jacket so I'm not spoiling any of this one of the people that comes with the spanish um, group is part of the inquisition they're going after the map maker so the two of them escape and then it goes on from there so i'm really enjoying it the author she's written a couple of other books and a bunch of graphic novels and apparently she also writes captain marvel and wonder woman so she has a very interesting viewpoint and i like it because this time period is sort of adjacent to my knowledge base, like, okay, Tudor England is adjacent to when this was happening. Ferdinand and Isabella, Christopher Columbus, their daughter, 
that sounded weird. Ferdinand and Isabella's daughter married Henry VIII. So I kind of, you always sort of hear, not you, I always hear about it from their standpoint. They reconquered Spain and then they lived in the palace, you know, the Alhambra Palace that was built by the Muslims, but you never hear about the people that were living there before. Right. I mean, this is obvious and yeah, right. I know what you mean. Yeah. Winners write history. So this was really, you know, interesting to think about the people that were there and and it's not really about that. It's the, it's going off on kind of a, a slight fantasy bent with, you know, who they're meeting and how they escape from the palace. And so I'm interested to see where, where it's going to take us. Well, how about you? Coincidentally, I heard report yesterday mm-hmm. that Christopher Columbus's illegitimate son, Hernando Colon, he had an illegitimate son. Okay. Who was always trying to win the favor of his, you know, famous explorer father by proving his own chops. And this guy's project was to collect all the books in the world. And this is, like, true. Okay. So he had this huge library collection, and it wasn't just important books. It was everyday books, cheaply published books. And he firmly... He had a really visionary sense of how the printing press was going to change the exchange of knowledge. And so he kept on staff people who would read all of these books in his collection. And then they kept kind of like a book of books where they would do like the cliff note version of whatever, whatever book was in the, was in the collection. And they just found his cliff note version, what? his book of books in Denmark, like two days ago. I missed this. I know. That's so I want, awesome. I want to send you that link. I think it's an amazing find, especially Where was it? I forget. Right. It was in it, it was in the library. They thought it belonged oh, okay. to something else. There was some other piece. It's a fascinating story. And we'll put the link in the show notes, but I can't wait. I'm so excited to share it with you because... So something good has happened on this week. (laughs) Yeah, and I feel like um, I was so sad about Notre Dame for so many reasons. And I feel like we do a terrible job of taking care of things in general. But that something like this can still resurface and surprise Mm -hmm. us all, I think feels um, a little bit hopeful. Yeah. So anyway... That's my, there's some other piece of it that I, I wanted to share with you, but it's escaping me right now. Thanks, public radio, <laughs> for that one. What is on your nightstand? Okay. This week I read, or the past two weeks, I read The Mothers by Britt Bennett, which was making the rounds, I feel like, and it was something that my book group had chosen to discuss. I felt like this was really well written really interesting story of an African-American woman from her late teens through her 20s. And it touches on abortion in a way that I feel like hasn't been discussed. And that the stigma of abortion is you are damned if you do, damned if you don't. The novel allows you to hear from the perspective of the woman, the main character, Nadia, and her best friend, 
um, Aubrey and the the boy that she dated and who was the, the father of her child in high school. And then there's this piece of it that her father belongs to this church and what's the church's role in this? And it's not mm-hmm. the Catholic. I don't think it's a Catholic church. It's a it's a Christian, some kind, it's an unnamed Christian church. And I feel like this girl would have been vilified no matter what decision she would have made. If she had kept the baby, she would have been a teen mother. If she would have given the baby up for adoption, she would have given away her baby. If she had an abortion, she aborted her baby. I mean, it's, it's like a no-win situation. And I think that triangle was really interesting to spend some time in. It's kind of a quieter novel, too. Mm-hmm. And in the end, I felt like it was not very hopeful. But if I'm remembering correctly, I heard a snippet of an interview, and I might be misremembering this, but I heard a snippet of something that was talking about how the reason why abortion is so difficult a topic is because nobody really talks about it openly and honestly it's a total catch-22 you know you it's that same damned if you do damned if you don't so I think even now especially now I don't know if that can be said but there's there's just it's not a conversation anyone is really willing to openly have so I thought it was um while kind of unhopeful about women's reproductive decision-making rights, I do feel like it was, an, like I said, an interesting way to look at this one experience. Hmm. And very well written. And then I read Florida by Lauren Groff, who who also wrote uh, Fates and Furies. And to be totally honest, did we put, was that the one... Where was the guy first and then the... Fates and Furies? Yeah. Fates and Furies was a couple who lived in New York and he was a writer and she supported him and then he vaulted into like... Yes. Okay. I did read that. Oh, I like that one. Really? Yeah. I thought they were despicably self-centered, the two of them. Okay. I, I thought the writing was great, but I did not like the characters. Oh, and I okay. thought that... I don't want to spend time with these people anymore. So I am like an empath introvert type, (laughs) which is kind of funny to say out loud. But so some characters turn me off. And those two were definitely tricky for me. Oh, I can see that. From Fates and Furies. They were not nice people. No. Florida, on the other hand, is a totally different magical tapestry of stories so it's a short story collection which is what I went to grad school for and I almost never pick up a short story collection now because I don't know short story fatigue I guess but this was such an amazing collection and I was so surprised because I I didn't have such a great experience with her characters from Fates and Furies. This one, this is a whole host of other characters. Some I think are loosely connected. The backdrop of the Florida, not bayou, but... Um, like the Everglades? Not Everglades. The, it's, it feels more northern, oh, okay. mm, swampy, that kind, of, right. that kind of territory with lots of gators and 
mosquitoes and that rich humidity that I've personally never been to Florida, but I can imagine it. These characters are just lit from behind. They are so interesting. And it was the kind of momentum where I was saying, all right, just one more story. Just one more story. And even though they weren't totally connected, you would just get lost into the next one. And I can't even pick a favorite. I really loved the whole collection and florida like i said that that tapestry of of florida as a backdrop and these the her descriptions of the houses and her she is really good about presenting flawed characters and Mm -hmm. and these characters are are definitely you know human and make mistakes and and they're just it was just really interesting it's a great great read and then last my last book I read Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid, and this is a what fiction. What is this one? Because okay. I've seen it going around, and I have not so really this is, figured out what it's about. This is a fictional account of a band in the 70s. Okay. Story structure is in an interview format. So that takes some getting used to because it's written. Oh, yeah. Like I'm showing Monica. It's written. It's like a script almost. It's like a script and it is. Transcript. Yes, that's a better word for it. Transcript. It's the interviewer largely evaporates and you're just hearing her strung together conversations with the bandmates and on some occasion, their spouses. So the the premise is there was this one band called The Six, and it was a lead male singer, four band mates who are guys, and then one woman. So that's that was The Six, okay. the six of them. And they had minimal success, and they, you know, they toured around, and and then there's Daisy Jones. And she is this young, thin, talented, doped out of her mind phenom, apparently, who's drugged out around Hollywood. I am so not the right audience for this Mm -hmm. because I hate to read about drug use um, in, in this like glamorized recreational way. I think it's really gratuitous. I know it happens. But it doesn't, it doesn't super interest me. I understand that that was part of the time period. And so I was willing to forgive it a little bit. And then the lead of the band, The Six, has his own struggles with substance abuse. And that, I think, was way more interesting. And we didn't really get enough of him. And there's, you know, the machinations of music production and Mm -hmm. like how we're going to sell this. And this is, you know, the agencies and albums and all of that stuff, which is like seems gross, especially during that time period, you know, is really amped up too in this in this book. And so I don't know if that's a true portrait of it or or fictionalized. I, I really I don't know. But I think. Telling the story of a band and all of the different interactions with different people, that feels like a family to me. 
in a way. And so I was, I was interested in hearing how these people fit together. And it's complicated, like any family, you right. know, or siblings, and there's there's infighting and and rivalries and jealousies, and hearing hearing reading how those things play out helps this take shape. It also feels a lot like that movie A Star Is Born, mm-hmm. which um, I still haven't seen. Which the the latest I've only seen the latest version with. Lady Gaga and um, Bradley Cooper, and it's that older guy who's mm. down on his luck, and you know, and here comes this bright young thing who injects him with something. I, I don't know. It it feels a little formulaic, in light of the the Star Is Born story. Right. I just learned that this is being picked up to, as a mini series in one of the, you know, streaming, I don't know if it's Amazon or Netflix, and Reese Witherspoon is is one of the executive producers. Oh. But I think one of the things that this will, how this would benefit from a mini series approach is that this is all about the music, and I love music. Oh, yeah. And so if they're going to do, if they're going to turn this into, like, real music and not just song lyrics at the end of the book I am on board for that because it's a fictional account it's not an account of Fleetwood Mac right you know what I mean none of these songs make any sense to me in terms of my own you know how when you hear a Fleetwood Mac song you have associations because you grew up hearing that song or you heard it wherever or any song really yeah and so this has none of that, none of those cultural associations. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't feel as, it doesn't feel as three-dimensional. But I'm hoping that that's something that the miniseries can add to the novel that right. isn't quite there for me as a reader. Her writing is really clean. And I feel like she did tell the story of it. I think four or five of the characters were really fully fleshed out and some of the other minor band characters mm-hmm. didn't get as much airtime, which is true no matter, you know, yeah. you can't do it all. So I do appreciate the people that who we did get, although it was tricky to get into this transcript style. Was it hard to keep track of people? No, because it's really Daisy Jones. You can tell the different voices. The six bandmates and then one additional spouse. Okay. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I wonder how it would be on an audiobook. Well, I don't know. That's interesting because... Because then, I mean, they've got, well... You could get different actors to play. Yeah. And and you said there's music in there. There is music. lyrics. It would be interesting to see what they do. Yeah. But you know what would be hard on an audiobook is that these... They're so fragment. I mean, there's six voices on a page. It's not, and it's often like that. Like, okay. you don't really get long passages. I, I don't know how you would do an audiobook with it. I'm interesting to check out, interesting. I am interested to check out the Florida one. I'm not a huge short story fan because they feel so short. If you're yeah. just getting into it and then it ends. But sometimes some, there's, there's been some that I've really enjoyed. I think the unifying environment 
really mm-hmm. stabilizes the short story structures. Okay. So it really is a collection. It is so tight of a collection. Nice. Okay. Good stuff. And I think that's it. Yeah. My reading list is just continuing to grow. I know. And grow. It's a terrible grow. problem. Good thing summer is coming up. <laughs> you can have some vacations to... I don't know. Well, I thought uh, I would, your, your vacation is not going to be a lot of reading. I thought we would have. I would have a lot of time this week for reading and yeah. painting, but having even a grown child at home is not a vacation. <laughs> no. It's just one less school to drive to in the morning. True. It That's is nice it. to have that one-on-one time, though. Yes. They get to be in all yes, it is. Yeah. Well, I have it. I, I I literally only have the one child this week, so right. That is a little a little different. So yeah, until next time, remember to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. Check us out on Instagram at craftcookreadrepeat or CourtneySF. That's C O R T. Thanks for listening.